Hi, I'm Dr. Linda Mintel. Hey, thanks for listening to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. Faith Radio podcasts are only possible because of your support. Thanks for giving and for sharing with a friend. Do we Well, hi, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. I'm your host, Dr. Linda Mintel, the relationship doctor, and I'm here along with my co-host, the other Dr. Mintel, my husband, Norm. And every weekend we're here, we're doing live together, and we're so glad you've joined us. Okay, well, I have a personal, professional question for you. Uh-oh. How many books are you currently reading? How many am I currently reading? Mm-hmm. Uh, probably three. I mean six. Are you really? Isn't that crazy? I know, and I don't finish any of them because I'm a chapter here and a chapter there, so I can't do like it's stories. Hard. It's hard for me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's hard. It's hard <laughs> because I see something, I want to start reading it, and then I it's know. like yeah. I know the books come on on Amazon a lot. Yeah, yeah. we have a lot of uh, deliveries. I like to read. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I saw recently an article that caught my attention. It was written by a guy named Michael McQueen. He's an award-winning speaker. He's a business strategist, and he's a trend forecaster. Those people interest me because they're always looking futuristically. He has helped some of the world's best-known brands maintain their relevance. He's written five best-selling books, but the book that caught my eye is this one. Listen to this title, Mind Stuck. Mind Stuck, Mastering the Art of Changing Minds. And I thought, oh, this is a Dr. Linda topic. I loved it. When I saw that just that name, Mind Stuck, it right. really uh, intrigued me. <laughs> yeah, well, it intrigued me when I saw it. And he's speaking to a really important relationship issue in this book. And the question he's asking and really he's answering in the book is, how do you motivate people to make change? And boy, if you could do that, just mm-hmm. think about all the people that come to me and say, I can't get my husband to, I can't get my children to, I can't get my boss to fill right. in the blank, right. Right? right? So what he says is that people get stuck in a rut and they just accept the status quo. But he says there are ways to persuade people to change. So we're going to learn a little bit more about this because in couples and many other relationships, there are times when we really want the other person to change their mind. And McQueen says, even the most stubborn people can change their mind. Now, I think God would say that too, wouldn't he, Norm? Well, God specializes in, <laughs> and, and believes and trusts that we're going to change our mind. <laughs> but he's, he's really, McQueen is saying that right. there are tried and true ways to persuade others when you need to. Well, I'm a communication guy, and I was going to say, isn't this just about persuasion? It is, but when we talk about this, he's going to tell us what we're doing wrong and what we need to do to correct that. McQueen began an interview with a very compelling question. He asked, we're told, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. But what if you could? Hmm. Hmm. Persuade a horse. I know, just make him thirsty. (laughs) Well, what he says is that he spent two decades helping leaders and organizations embrace change, but he does it in a non-conventional way. Mm Mm-hmm. What isn't new when it comes to change is how stubborn people can be. We've known that for a long time. People whose mind is stuck are very stubborn, typically. We all tend to dig in our heels and our positions and resist change. But he says 
I was just fascinated by this, that we spend 40% of our time trying to persuade people to change their minds, but our efforts are usually only successful 3 to 5% of the time. Those are not good odds. That's bad math. Yeah, it is. It's really low, um, which means we aren't too effective in our efforts. That's mm-hmm. what that's saying. Right. And he argues, though, Norm, that this is because we're using what he calls old tactics. Okay. And one of those old tactics that doesn't work, he calls the Francis Bacon effect. Oh, good. We're doing history. <laughs> if you don't remember who Francis Bacon was, he was a 17th century scientist and philosopher who was often described as one of the founding fathers of the Enlightenment. So according to McQueen, Bacon's big idea was that humans are fundamentally rational and reasonable, which came out of the Enlightenment thinking. And so to educate or influence someone to change their thinking, the key was to expose them to reliable evidence and logical arguments. That way they'd have no option but to come to their senses and see reason. Yeah, well, (laughs) we see how well that works these days, right? right? In fact, you and I were talking about this before the show, and we were saying we could think of one person. C.S. Lewis, who actually responded to logical argument and became a Christian. Wasn't that, that right, part of what right. he, he his testimony is? Right. And there was some thinking that John Wesley did, but then he had that heartwarming experience. With the Holy Spirit. Uh, with the Holy yeah. Spirit. So people like, typically today ignore reason. Right. And, they even, and they even ignore common sense. Um, <laughs> I, I think that's even more true I than I've so. ever seen. So – This author goes so far as to say that giving people reliable evidence and logical arguments has the opposite effect. Mm -hmm. I think so. He says they hunker down in their ideas even more and they become less open to change. And I I think we see that a lot in our culture. Well, don't we call that confirmation bias? It's like people draw their conclusions based on what they feel is right. They can't believe that they're wrong, so they only pay attention to other people who agree with them. Yeah. Well, you know, brain science does support what McQueen is saying here. So the frontal lobe of our brain uses logic, and it takes a lot of energy to use that part of your brain. Hmm. So if you just think about what's at the front of your brain, that's the part of the thinking part of the brain. It's slow, and it's responsible for about 5 to 10% of our perceptions and our judgments. Okay. The other part of our brain is found in the limbic system. And this is the impulsive, this is the part of the the brain that processes emotions and reacts to stress, and one of its functions is to protect us. Makes sense. So when ideas or opinions or arguments come to us that threaten our opinions or our convictions, our body goes into this protection mode and it becomes very stubborn. Hmm. And during that time... We don't really hear logic. Right, we don't really right. hear the reasoning part of things. We're just emotionally reacting to things, and no attempts to persuade us are going to work. Right. So in relationships, let me put that in a relationship mode. The more we push in this emotional state, the more we can expect people to resist us, right? Right. So we know that purposefully provoking people just doesn't work. In fact, we see that all the time in what's called culture wars, right? Yeah. And and just think of all the times you've tried to change somebody with pushing your ideas and just going on and on and trying to tell them, but be reasonable. Think about this. Right, right. Instead, what McQueen says is that the goal is to really disarm people, not provoke them. Oh, that means keeping the emotions down. Yeah. Yeah. So our, I think our best example of this was actually Jesus. Mm. Because if you think about it, he constantly disarmed people with his love and his grace. 
He didn't provoke them even when he was provoked. Right. That's true. And he is the author of change. In fact, you could argue he was the greatest disruptor of all time. But one of his strategies to disarm people was to tell them these fabulous three words, do not fear, which was so common. Yeah. So Jesus knew that fear and stubbornness go together. (laughs) He knew that that would activate that part of our brain. Mm -hmm. And he's all about change and changing our heart, changing our life. And he knows because he created us that fear is most often based in a lot of uncertainty, lack of control, Mm -hmm. loss that people feel. And that's part of what happens when we're facing change. So he constantly tells us not to fear. And what he's actually doing is calming us down so that our thinking brain can actually Mm. get engaged. I think maybe this happens more to men. I'm not sure. But it seems to me that if you're faced with the need to change something, you're going to also have to lose some of your pride. It's a little bit humiliating maybe to admit that you weren't right. You didn't have all the answers. And when you're not right and uncertain, you might pretend. I've certainly seen this with a number of bosses throughout the years. They always had to be right. They weren't open to change because they were mind stuck. Yeah, I don't think that's a gender thing, actually. I think it just could be that somebody is who's very insecure. We mm. would say they're very insecure. And think about that. They're responding to a threat, right? Right. They're feeling like their security. The new thought. Yeah, yeah okay. the security is at risk here you yeah. know, because somebody's challenging the way I do things. So if we want to change a mind, we have to address that uncertainty or that lack of control that people sometimes feel when we're trying to talk about change. So it's not so much about trying to sell people on the benefits of change, rather helping them to kind of calm down, to not be fearful, or give up their need to be right, and help them to see that change doesn't have to be scary. Mm. You don't have to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Yet so many people stick to that unfavorable course of action. Why are we humans so stubborn? I think it's our nature, right? Right. Uh, we're invested in our own views. They're familiar. They're known. And that gives us a sense of control over our lives. But, And so we put a lot of effort into proving we're right. And that takes a lot of time and energy. Uh, yeah. Well, the old idea of losing face comes to mind here. Yes. Yeah, so we stick with the old, refusing to embrace the new. And at times we may think, oh, if I change my mind on this, you know what? What else might not be true? Wow, that's good. You think about how many things you may have invested in emotionally and find out you wasted your time or your energy. But it's okay. It's okay. Why why do we have to hang on to that if it if it could be better some other way? But change is so often the way things get better. They improve, even if we don't like facing them. Rather than just parroting what other people say or what we have always said, change requires us to think deeply about our positions or our behaviors that we've held on to or to an idea that we're clean. So do you remember, um, I think during the election when Bernie Sanders was running for president? I I don't know if you saw these with me. You told me about this. Yeah, I was watching these interviews with college students, and they were all about Bernie. And so they were asking him questions like about taxes, because Bernie was like, you know, you have to pay for everything. He was going to give everything for free. Right. But somebody has to pay for that, right? Right. So he was saying to the students, so would you give up 20% of your income? Oh, yeah. How about 30? Oh, definitely. The interviewer went as high as 90% of your income, and you would give it to taxes so that people could get all these other things, and everybody said, yes, absolutely. Wow, mindlessly not thinking, (laughs) how do I live on 10%? Yeah, how how am I possibly going to live? So there was a clear area where they were just sticking to their guns. They were mind stuck, and no reason was Mm going to change Mm -hmm. their mind in that thing. 
Wow. Well, it makes me think that knowing God, the more we know God and how he thinks and acts, the less fear we have, we can face uncertainty and change a whole lot easier. So, so that's just such a good point, isn't it? Knowing God. Isn't that really what this is? Now, McQueen doesn't talk about this, I don't think, at all in his book. I haven't read the whole thing, so I, I can't say, but I don't think there's any indication of this. But he also talks about this little thing called the in-between beliefs, Norm, where he says there's a lot of discomfort between us wanting to feel safe, but mm-hmm. knowing something isn't quite right. Mm-hmm. And I think you see that today in the culture where people are hearing a lot of crazy things and they sort of sense it's not right, but they don't want to speak up. They want to want to challenge the status quo. And so they stay stuck and they're not thinking through things and they're not making good decisions. We do know that people need compelling reasons to change. But right now, I have to persuade you of something to take a break. Is that okay? I can do it. We're going to take a break, and we'll be right back with more on this topic of being mind stuck on the Dr. Linda Mental Show. Letting Go of Worry by Dr. Linda Mental, available on her website at drlindamental.com and online. Raising Healthy Kids in an Unhealthy World, available on Dr. Linda's website, drlindamental.com and available online where books are sold. You are listening to the Dr. Linda Mental Show, and we're glad you are. Today's topic is Mind Stuck, the art of changing minds. Isn't that cool? For more help on this topic and other relationship issues, follow Dr. Linda on her social media, at Dr. Linda Mental on X and Instagram, Dr. Linda Mental author and speaker on her Facebook. Her website, drlindamental.com, has blogs and links to many books she's written, and we have our own radio show as a podcast on almost every platform, including now Spotify. Before the break, you said that people might be ambivalent about change, or maybe, in fact, not even want to change at all. So how do we get someone to even consider changing? Well, first you have to acknowledge, we've been talking about this, that change is scary, right? And it's very uncomfortable sometimes for people to make a change because we don't feel in control and we want to, you know, we just want things to stay the way they are, even when they're not good for us. Yeah, even when they're not good for us. So you need to be open to change or it's not going to happen. And it won't matter how persuasive anybody is. So you have to be what we call ready for change Mm. and be willing to give up you know, the way that you're doing something and make room for a new way to do things. Especially when you consider what you're doing, you're right. It's my right. We see that in these culture wars Mm -hmm. everywhere and every kind of media. People are so polarized. They just don't want to change. I don't know how they ever come back together. They seem so glued to their point of view and not willing at all to listen to others. We've lost civility. We've lost discourse in our, in our culture. I know, this seems like it could be a real ministry for somebody, doesn't it, to figure out how to get people to talk again? Right. Part of what we're talking about here is how are you going to get people to talk when there's been so much polarization that's Mm -hmm. gone on? Mm -hmm. And now um, we know that, you know, there's fear and there's insecurity behind that. I mean, that's part of what we've been talking about. And this whole idea of admitting that you're wrong, it it never used to be this difficult for people to say, you know, maybe I don't know everything. Maybe I'm wrong. But yeah, let me check that out. Yeah. Um, but there is this theory about change that says when you don't admit a problem or think that you're right and don't believe you need to make a change, you're in a stage change called pre-contemplation hmm. or pre-contemplative, depending mm-hmm. on how you want to say that. In this stage, you're just not ready to see any problem with your behavior or what you're doing at all. And you won't even consider it. And that is really the essence, I think, of mind stuck. Hmm. 
So how do you talk to someone when that's the case for them? Because I think most people are just going to give up and say, lost cause. Yeah, you have to really ask a lot of open-ended questions. And the the way you ask these questions are aimed at getting people to say what's going on in their, their brain about this. So let me give you an example of what you might do. You might ask somebody, well, are there any risks or any downsides to not making the change? Hmm. Like if you stay in that state, is there anything that could you know, happen if you did change or you don't make a change? Like what's your life going to be like if you don't? Or what would happen if you made a change? How would your life be different? How would your wife or husband feel? Would people want to be around you more? Just start asking some questions that make them think about the impact of staying the same. So give me an example of how this works. Let's say you want your spouse to stop smoking. Okay, he tells you his dad smoked and lived to be 90 years old, and he liked to smoke. So you could ask a question like this. You could say, well, is there any chance that you might not live to 90? Does everyone you know who smokes stay disease-free, or do they live a long life? Would you feel better if you didn't smoke? Or what do you like about smoking? Are there any healthier ways to achieve that feeling? So again, just getting them to start thinking about it, asking questions to motivate that person. You're not telling them to change. You're just asking a lot of open-ended questions that might get the person to start thinking about maybe the pros and cons of making a change. And that's going to move somebody out of that pre-contemplative phase. Because it doesn't make them defensive since you're not telling them what to do. Right. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. You're just getting him to calmly think about, talk about pros and cons of change from his point of view. Yeah. And when when you do that, it opens the door to change because the person still feels like they're in control. They feel like they have a choice. And it, like you said, it doesn't make them defensive. You're not, you're not trying to fix them. It doesn't feel like that to the person. Instead, you're really asking them about their goals and how their current behavior is getting them toward those goals or keeping them from reaching those goals. So I think Christ is a really good example in, in this again. You know, he didn't force his will on people. He just disarmed them with love and he gave them a choice to follow him or not. He offered hope, abundant life peace, and then he let people think about wanting this for themselves. Hmm. I like the way civic engagement expert Peter Block says it. He said, quote, the yes of another person means nothing if they don't have the ability to also say no. Hmm. There can be no commitment if there's no choice. And that's a very biblical idea. From the very beginning, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. That's right. That's right. And parents use choice all the time when they want their children to make changes. I mean, rather than dictate a mandate, think about it. You can say, well, you can make your bed um, and go out and play, or you can decide not to, and you're going to be doing some other chores around the house (laughs) if that's the case. I mean, you're giving your child a chance to choose, right? The consequences of each choice are explained, and it's a good strategy when you're trying to motivate someone to change. Mm. And choice is also a part of good leadership. People are far more likely to do things when you explain the whys of the situation and then give them choices about them because now they're feeling a sense of control and ownership. Yeah, and it's it's a critical issue in in change when we're dealing with people in therapy as well. I might say to a patient, um, I would like to talk to you about your alcohol use, but, you know, you have the right to refuse. And do you know that there's a a bunch of studies on that, Norm, that when you use those five words, you have the right to refuse, that people's desire to change 
increases tremendously. Wow. Just by giving them that choice. You mean just by saying the words? Yeah. If you say, if I say to you, um, I would like to talk to you about this, but you, you know, you have the right to refuse. Most people are going to go, no, no, that's fine. Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Right. Um, so people <laughs> tend to resist and become defensive when you just give them these directives and mm-hmm. say, okay, you have an alcohol problem. You need to stop drinking. Sure. That's going to be very different than the way we just talked about it. Well, that's true because what we do is we flash back to some authoritarian person in our life who always demanded or always commanded us to do things. And that instantly kicks in that childhood I ain't doing that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't want to do that. It's just there's something about it when you're just told that you need to do something versus, you know, you think about and you're given a choice. You're thinking about it. Well, do I really want to live like that? Do I really want to have my life go this way? If my wife is constantly talking about it, is it something that maybe I want to think about doing? Just a very different approach. This little subtle language change is such a small difference, and yet, it seems, based on what you're saying, it makes a huge difference in the mind stuckness of helping someone get out of it. Yeah, and one of the choices can be you simply choose not to do anything. So, for example, I could say, you know, you don't have to stop drinking, but, you know, tell me how that will turn out for you. So you can, you can, you can actually use that choice. Look, you can stay where you are. Or here's another example of that. Don't worry if you can't do it. I'll find someone else who will, or I can even do it myself. Now, don't say it in a manipulative a way. snarky way? Yeah, a manipulative <laughs> yeah, right, way. But, right. but if you say, you know, you don't have to do it. It's fine. I'll find somebody else. I mean, I can actually do it myself. Most people will come alongside you and go, no, 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 I'll help. I want to help. Let me help. Right. And it, you right. don't do it to be manipulative. It's just the way that you're saying it. That sounds like a good one to help you get the chores done. It does. It is. And if you add, and if you can do it, I would really appreciate it. It makes people even want to mm-hmm. do it more. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, don't feel obligated. Any phrase like that that gives people the power to choose, they usually choose to be helpful and make the change. This idea, it's so simple, but giving people a choice for change seems so basic, but it does make all the difference. And, and I think you've unlocked a powerful, powerful concept for persuasion. Yeah, and I, it's really the difference of strong arming people into mm-hmm. change because that doesn't work because we use fear, we use shame, we use guilt. Um, and, and when we're doing it the way we're talking about with choice, we're building trust because we're asking questions, we're getting to know the person. It's a positive approach. And when you do this in a positive way that speaks to their internal motivation, that it makes a big difference than when you're trying to get someone to do something for you mm-hmm. rather mm-hmm. than focusing it back mo- back on what's going on inside of you. Because sometimes when you just ask people, how is this going to help you? How is this going to make you a better person? They'll come up with that internal motivation and you don't even have to suggest things. And as people of faith, we always want to use the Bible to guide our life. So to question our actions and our heart and make sure that we're living in accordance with God's will allows us to trust God and be much more open to self-examination, introspection, and ultimately change, I would think. And don't you think as Christians, Norm, that we should be doing more self-examination? Absolutely. I mean, the Bible tells us to do that, right? And and the psalmist says to examine our hearts. But I don't think we always do that. I think we do get in this stubborn state too, way too often. And the, the interesting thing to me is God doesn't beat us over the head to change. So I don't think we should do that with other people. Mm-hmm. 
We don't need to exhaust people with arguments to convince them of change. We just need to have our hearts softened to this and our mind a little bit open. We need to become tender to the things of God because he is the change maker and he can be trusted. Mm -hmm. And if we're just open to God, that's going to make a lot of difference in our other relationships as well. Right. And that will help us change our relationship with Jesus. It gets more intimate. That spills over into our other relationships then. We allow God's word to change us. And then we can pray as the psalmist did, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And that's when we'll see God move in our lives. So our bottom line here is don't be mind stuck. Don't be stubborn. Don't be reactive. Don't be like the children of Israel. If we want to put a biblical um, slant on this, get out of your mind, but put on the mind of Christ. God will give you a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. And we often sing, change my heart, O God, make it ever new. Well, let's make this our prayer as we allow God to change us, and then we can help others do the same. Well, that's all the time we have today. Many thanks to my co-host, Norm Mintel, who makes this show a conversation, and to our technical producer, Katie Sims. From all of us here at Faith Radio, we'll talk to you again next weekend. In the meantime, remember, we're doing life together, and it's better when you don't have to do it alone. Hey, thanks for listening to this conversation from the Dr. Linda Mintel Show. These conversations are available because of your support. Become a supporter now at MyFaithRadio.com. Please subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes and share it with friends so we can live life to the fullest, walk confidently, and find healing and hope.